I shared a few weeks ago that there are three things I really see that the church needs to really get um, worldwide to, to really experience what Jesus has done for us and what the new covenant is all about. And those three things um, are, first, we really, as a church worldwide, need to really understand that when Jesus came, he came not to just cover our sins. That's what they had under the old covenant. They had a daily covering of sins, and they had to daily bring sacrifices, and they had to daily remember, remind themselves of their sins. But Jesus came to take away sin, Hebrews 10 talks about, to take it away once for all time. The scripture says that if we had this concept of a daily forgiveness or daily cleansing, then Jesus would have to die often from the foundation of the world. Hebrews, he'd have to die every day. And that's not what he did. He, he appeared once, the scripture says, to put away sin once by the sacrifice of himself. And so that awesome reality that we don't have to name our sins every day and confess our sins every day to stay forgiven, forgiven or cleansed or righteous before God is huge. And yet so much of the church worldwide is still teaching that the believer needs to confess his sins, name his sins every day to stay right with God. Missing the awesome reality of a lamb who took away the sin of the world and didn't just cover it. So that's number one. We've got to get that in the church. It's got to get out. The people have to see that. See this. It's very controversial. It shouldn't be, but it's very controversial. We have one verse in all the scripture, 1 John 1, 9, that is being misused. And all that verse is saying in 1 John 1, 9 is that if a, if a person says he has not, um, well, if a person has, says he has no sin and has never sinned, John says that person has the truth not in them, that the word is not in them, that they are deceived and they're calling God a liar because God says we're all sinners and we need a, we need a savior. So 1 John 1.9 is simply saying that if they will confess their sin, if they will agree with God that they're sinners, God is faithful and just to forgive their sin and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. So anyway, that is, that's awesome. That truth will set so many believers free. The second thing that I think the church needs to get is this whole reality of a new creation, a new heart. There are preachers and teachers out there right now that are not teaching that the believer has a new heart. And it can't be both. We either have a new heart or we don't. And the truth is, the scripture says, we have a new heart. That's what the prophets prophesied would come when Christ came. There are preachers and teachers out there right now still telling the body of Christ to search your heart for sin, to search your heart for evil. That was true before Christ came. The heart was desperately wicked and deceitful, and that was certainly true before Christ came. But it's no longer the reality in Christ. And to tell a believer to search their heart for sin is not only confusing, it is wrong. The scripture says, Paul says that in my flesh dwells no good thing. You can search for sin in the flesh, so to speak, and you'll find no good thing. But you search the heart and you'll find no bad thing. The scripture says that the day will come, the prophets of the day will come when the Lord will take away the sin of the world. He will take away all of the iniquity of Israel in one day and search will be made for sin in Israel and none will be found. That's the prophets. This is an awesome reality. What God did in this new creation, he literally cut away the body of the flesh, Colossians says. That's why we call it walking after the flesh. Because the power of sin is now quarantined in the members of your body, the apostles taught. This is not heard in the church. It's not understood in the church. The power of sin is quarantined now in the members of our body. It's a great mystery. Who can 
know these things. But God, who is God, has done an unusual work, Isaiah said. A, an alien work. A strange work is coming. God says, consider not the things of old. Before, behold, I do a new thing. So new, so different, that unless you get a revelation of it, you will not believe it. I do a thing in the midst of the earth, the scripture says, that though a man describe it unto you, you will not believe it. I tell you what, he has totally cut away the body of the flesh. He has raised us up from the dead. Only God can raise the dead and call into being that which did not exist before. And that's what you are. You and I are a new creation. Behold, if any man be in Christ, all things have become new. Behold, we have a new heart. We are new in him. Yes, we still sin at times as believers. Yes, we are tempted. Yes, all, but that's why the power of sin has now been relegated to the members of our body. That is not the real you. That's why when you die, you, be able, you, are able, you and I are able to pass into the heavens immediately, absent from the body, present with the Lord, because the real you is truly perfect. It's awesome. That's why Jesus said we must be born again. It's so radical. He told Nicodemus, look, you can't improve on this flesh. You can't improve on yourself. You must become a, a different person. Sorry. You can't work on yourself. You must become a new person. You must be born from above. That's number two. Number three is what I want to talk about today. The third thing the church needs to see is what is the dynamic, the heavenly dynamic that God employs to conform us to the image of Christ, if you want to say it that way, or what does God do? What is, what is the hidden secret way God works to bring forth Christ in our life? or the fruit of the Spirit, or how is Christ formed in us, as Paul said to the Galatians? How has that worked? How, is that, how does that work? And I think it's, it's uh, I want to share, initially, I want to kind of lay a little foundation first. That this is really important that we see three things. We have to first, in our mind, saints, I believe, see that God's ways are not our ways. Now, when I say God's ways are not our ways, the next line says, as high as the heavens, as high as the galaxies, as high as the stars are above the earth, that's how different his ways are from our ways. We've got to really believe that. Our ways, as, a, as, a, as mankind are wrapped around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that Adam and Eve partook of, that we inherited from them a way of thinking that comes from that tree. Our ways are all wrapped around this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which opened their eyes to their own nakedness. They became very self-conscious. They hid from God. They were afraid of God. And they were in shame. We are eaten up with a way of thinking that is from that tree. A tree that God never wanted us to eat of. So when I say God's ways are as different from our ways as the heavens are above the earth, it has to do with that tree. There was another tree in the garden. The tree of life. God's way is all wrapped up around that tree. And how he operates and how he thinks. So 
First thing we have to see, I believe, saints, is that his ways are so different. We have to be, we have to be prepared. We have to be prepared to believe something amazing. Listen, Jesus walked amidst the people and they were amazed at how different he was from those who preached the law. It was so, it was so different, different. He came majestically and powerfully to bring something totally new, something totally different. And so a big part of understanding this heavenly dynamic is for us to realize this is huge, this is big. It's not even close, it's not even close to the way man thinks, not even close. Jesus himself said, the kingdom of heaven does not come like men think. I love that. The kingdom of heaven does not come like men think. It's a whole different way, a whole different deal. Remember when Jesus talked about the log in the eye and the, the guy that was, was, uh, was looking at the, the sins in other people and he said, and Jesus said, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? Speaking to the Pharisee, and you have not considered the log in your own eye. He said, get rid of the log in your own eye and you'll be able to then see clearly to get the speck out of your brother's eye. You know, what, you know what he was talking about there, I believe? Because in context, he said to the Pharisee, he said, in that same passage, he said, he said, Pharisee, just make the tree good. Make the tree good, and it will bear good fruit. Of course, the Pharisee can't create, but God can. He was telling the Pharisee, make the tree good, and it will bear good fruit. I believe what he was saying there, saints, is that God was, God was looking at the Pharisee. The Pharisee was all up in arms about people's sin. God saw the sin of their, his brother as a speck. Sin is no problem with God. Clark was so right on last Sunday when he said, you know, the real problem is not sin. It's a byproduct of the real problem. And the, by, the real problem is a lack of life. See? Life. Because life will bear its own fruit after its own kind. Sin is just a symptom of the problem. That's why the Lord said, if you eat of this tree, the knowledge of good and evil, you shall die. So the issue is life. So I believe what the Lord was saying to the Pharisee, the log, saints, is not your sin is bigger than his sin. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, Pharisee, you don't see what God has come to do. You're trying to fix the flesh. You see sin in your brother's life. To God, it's a speck. It's not a problem for God. The real thing God has come to do, you don't see, Pharisee. God has come to make a good tree. You, Pharisee, do not see the new creation. It's a huge log. Huge. Huge log. Because if you don't see the new creation, if you don't see what God is going to do, you will gouge out your brother trying to clean them up. You'll gouge out their eyes trying to get a speck out. Take the log out of your own eye. See what God has come to do, that you must be born again. There must be a new creation. There must be a new creation, Pharisee. If you will see that, Pharisee, the log will be removed, and you will see clearly how to remove the speck out of your brother's eye because you too will lead them to the Christ. Instead of gouging their eyes because you think the issue is sin, and all you see is sin, 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 you don't see God and his Awesome work of new creation. So the log, the log in the eye of the Pharisee is actually a blindness to the ways of God. 
It's a blindness to the ways of God. And legalists to this day have a blindness to God's ways, and they're always trying to get specks out of other believers' eyes, and they're gouging their eyes out, not seeing their own log in their eye. It's so awesome. God, God has come to do something so awesome that it really does take. And the three things I think just to prepare us for this awesome revelation is we've got to know his ways are higher than our ways. Secondly, we've got to be poor in spirit. God gives these revelations to the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. God chooses the foolish to confound the wise. He chooses the weak to confound the strong. If we feel like we know it all, we won't be able to hear it. Jesus said, I hide these things from those who think themselves wise and prudent, and I reveal them to babes, for so it seemed good, Father, in thy sight to do it this way. So we have to really come humbly to God and say, I am blind, Lord, teach me to see. Even as a believer, because there's so much more to see, you know? And Jesus said, if you said you see, then you will remain blind. But if you come to me and say you are blind and you want to know more, then you shall see. See? So even though that we, see, even though, even though we, and then even though we know God's ways are higher than our ways, and even though we come humbly saying, Lord, I, I need to know more. I need to teach me. Help me see. The third thing we need to have in our thinking, I believe, the third thing to get this, this radical revelation of a new creation and how this new creation is manifested, which I'm trying to get to. I'm trying to get to how the new creation is manifested. Um, the third thing we need to have in our thinking is this, and that is we cannot fear man. Paul said, if I would be a respecter of men's opinions, I would not be the servant of Christ. It's a crucial piece to receiving revelation from God. You have to not care what people think about you. People. You have to care more about what God thinks about you than people. There, I've heard a lot of people that get so close to seeing the finished work of Christ and the revelation of Christ and pressure from the clergy and pressure from leaders and pressure from those who have 100 books bestsellers and pressure from people and the pressure comes and they back off. They back off. Because they want the praise of men more than the praise of God. I'm telling you, one of the secrets to you and I getting revelation is that you have to get to a place where you have nothing to lose. Like, you don't care what man does. And that's why the leadership has a hard time seeing truth, because they have such a vested interest in the system. They have a salary. They have uh, books out that they've said things wrong, but they've got, you know, royalties coming in. They can't say it's all bad. They've got books out there. We've got money. This pays our mortgage, you know. There's all kind of vested interest among the leaders. That's why it comes from the grassroots up. They have nothing to lose. The saints are just wanting to know the truth. And every now and then you find a leader like Clark Whitten who doesn't give a flip what men think. And guess what? He gets truth. And you're all like that. We're all like that. We don't have to worry about what men think. You know, you need to have, we need to have, this, we need to have the, the posture of, you know, I don't care what the truth is. Whatever it is, I just want the truth. You know? If you have that kind of mentality, just hold on to your hat. God's Eyes are running to and fro throughout the whole earth, the scripture says, to show himself strong on behalf of the one who's looking to him, looking to him. 
So if you have those three things working in you, get ready. If you see that his ways are higher than our ways and it's going to be amazing, it's not going to be close. That's why a lot of Christian counseling, a lot of Christian counseling is very close to the way the law is, the way the law works. You know, let's look at your sin, let's look at your flesh, let's look at your problems, let's look at the root of your problems, let's try to work through it. And I mean, there's no, there's no talk in a lot of Christian counseling about a new heart. Just the opposite. There's no talk in a lot of Christian counseling about a new creation. It's not even discussed. It's not believed. There's no talk about this unbelievable, unbelievable reality that we've been moved from one dimension to another dimension, translated from the kingdom of the, of the darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son. I mean, that's like... And the reason why it's so close, a lot of, not all, but a lot of Christian counseling is so close to just what you have under the law is because it is not the revelation of something that is different as far as the heavens are above the earth. One of the things that helped me see the gospel when I was beginning to get this is the Spirit said to me, listen to what is being preached. Listen to what is being preached. And a lot of what is being preached on TV and radio, a lot of in books, could have been preached in the days of Moses. The Spirit said to me, listen for what is being taught and preached. What are you hearing that could not have been preached in the days of Moses? What are you hearing that could not have been preached in the days of Moses? God made it very clear. He said, behold, I do a new covenant with the house of Israel, not like the covenant I cut with them when I brought them out of Egypt. God's own words, not like that. Not like the Ten Commandments. Not like that. So I listened to what was being taught. I heard a lot about sin. I heard a lot about judgment. I heard a lot about repentance. I heard a lot about, you know, obedience. I heard all these things. All of that could have been preached when Moses was here. But when I hear someone say something like this, a great mystery has been revealed. God himself became a man. God himself has come to us in the person of his son. God himself on a tree took the judgment of the whole world for all people, for all time. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This great mystery doesn't end there. But after three days, three days, he raised up a new temple, a new habitation of God. He raised up living stones. He created again new, a new reality. He brought with him through another dimension those who would believe on him to sit with him in heavenly places. He counts them as righteous as God himself. He no longer counts their sins against them. He draws them by his love and the power of his spirit. He opens their eyes to things beyond earth, beyond man, and shows them the Father and shows them the things that belong to the Christ and now belong to them because they're in the Christ. When I hear that, that's new covenant. And Moses cannot, could not preach that. Moses could not preach that. He knew it was coming, though. He had glimpses of it. Moses said, there's going to be another like me. God's going to raise up just like me. I'm like a picture of him with this covenant. But there's another one. 
And he who does not listen to that one shall be cut off. Moses. Jesus talked to his own Jewish people and he said, had you believed Moses, you would have believed in me. How can you believe in me? You, didn't, you don't even believe Moses. Moses pointed to me. He says, think not that I've come to judge you. I've not come to judge you. Moses shall judge you, Jesus said, in whom you trust. They who trusted in the law and self-righteousness, Jesus said, how can you believe in me? If you would have believed what Moses said, then you would have believed in me. But you don't even believe what Moses said, that I was coming. It's awesome. This reality, a whole different, a whole new thing has come. So those three things, seeing how awesome his ways are, seeing that we must come in humility, saying, Lord, teach us these things that we don't see. And thirdly, have no fear of man and no, no worry of what man thinks makes you, it's like you're this beautiful sailboat with the sail full, waiting for the wind. You're ready. It's like every time you see that, his ways are different from everything man could ever think of. You're pulling that sail up. See, the wind's already blowing, but you're not, you're not getting the, the benefit of it because the sail's not up. You're going like, oh, I come humbly, Lord. I, I don't see what I should see. As Paul said, if any man says he thinks he sees anything, let him know he doesn't see anything like he ought to see it. Okay, I'm going to pull that up a little higher. And then, I don't care what men think about me. I don't care. I'm going to boast that I have a new heart, even though I still sin. I don't care if they think that's crazy. It's not crazy. I have a new heart. God has done an awesome thing called spiritual circumcision. And then the, the, the sail is up. The wind. Get ready. Okay, let's go. I really believe the two trees in the garden really do tell the whole story. God, God's way is to bring life. To bring life. God's way is not, he's, his way is to bring life. This is what Paul said in Romans. He said, our God raises the dead and calls into being that which did not exist before. That's new covenant thinking. We've been born again. We're a new creation. Only God can raise us from, who are dead in transgressions and sins in our flesh and create us anew. Only God could do that. You know why Jesus said, if you don't believe in me, you will die in your sins? It's because those who don't believe on Jesus are still in their flesh. You see, they're tied to this body. Sin is in their heart. Sin is, is, is all over. It, it, they're, in flat, they're in the flesh. They're of this creation. They're fallen. They're dead to God, alienated from the life of God, darkened in their understanding. If they die without believing on him, they die in their sin. And then he said, but if you believe on me, you shall not die in your sin. Why? Because the spiritual circumcision takes place. He separates the inward man from the outward man. Though the body is dead because of sin, the inward man is alive because of the righteousness of God. Because the outward man is, is perishing every day, but the inward man is renewing every single day by the power of life. Life, new spirit, new creation on the inside. So when we die as a believer, we don't die in our sins. What happens is you leave this body and this body stays here. The power of sin has been quarantined to the flesh and blood. Flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God, but you will. It's awesome. You live, you live every day as a believer not in your sin, even when you do sin. Sinning under grace does not put you back in the flesh. 
When you sin, when I sin under grace, it doesn't mean that that is impossible to undo the spiritual circumcision by the hand of God. The very essence of the covenant is such that when we sin, it's not counted against us. So we what? So we can sin more? God forbid. We don't, we're not given this freedom so we can sin more, Paul says. But he says when you do sin, he goes, is Christ the minister of sin when I find myself sinning as a believer? He says, God forbid. That's not Christ doing that. That's just the flesh. But I don't go back under the law and make myself a transgressor either. See? I have to realize who I am. It takes time sometimes. I mean, like Dudley Hall said one time that, you know, you start preaching grace to people that have been stuck in legalism for a while. They may go crazy and get real fleshly because they're not used to freedom and liberty. And Dudley Hall said, just, just be patient with them. They'll, they'll come back around. You know, they'll, they'll, they've got a new heart. They have, they have God's desire in them. But people have been steeped in law and have had a steady diet of law. Their faith is anemic. The law is not of faith. If you have a steady diet of do this in order to get this from God, do this in order to get this from God, do this in order to get this from God, do this, do this, do this, faith is never even activated. It remains weak, small, anemic. But if you start giving a steady diet to the saints, God did this. Do you believe it? God did this. Do you believe it? Isn't this awesome? God did this. Do you believe it? And suddenly faith is beginning to exercise and grow and strengthen because it's getting a steady diet of the revelation of Christ under grace and not law where Paul says the law is not of faith. So so God is into just creating this life and then manifesting life. There are two concepts in the body of Christ out there. There's a concept that says um, God is working on us. God is working on us, and um, he's going to fix me. And, you know, be patient. God's not finished with me yet. Bumper sticker. Um, Or another bumper sticker. uh, Christians aren't perfect. They're just forgiven. That thinking says that your heart is still evil. And God is working on getting all the evil out of your heart. It's a focus on sin. It's law-based. And it's blind and short-sighted to what Jesus really did. The, The apostles and Jesus taught, on the other hand, that he's not trying to fix us anymore. If God is working on me, why is he sitting down? Having finished his work, he sat down on the right hand of God. Now, he is doing something, but it's not as we suppose. He's not working on me, making my heart better and better. What he's doing, that verse that says, the good work he has begun in us, he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Faithful is he will complete the work. What work is he doing? He's the author and finisher of my faith. If it's all about faith, then it, then it has to already be. Get this now, get this. If he's only asking us to believe something, then it has to already be. 
If he's already done something and sat down, and if it's all a matter of just believing, then what he's doing, saints, what's the unfolding revelation of himself is coming to the believer so that we can go from faith to faith, from glory to glory. He's not making your heart better. He's making your mind renewed to what is. That's the process. The process is not changing what's on the inside of you. At what point are you holy? Are you holy enough if you take this view? If you take the view of most churches that talk about God's working on your evil heart and getting you pure and more holy and more holy, that's the sanctification mistake. That's the wrong teaching of sanctification. That's what we have mostly in the church. At what point are you holy enough? At what point do you have enough fruit to go to heaven? And who's the, who's the judge? There's no security in that. There's no confidence in that. There's nothing. There's just a wish and a hope and a dream. But in God, it's a settled, established fact. He has created us anew in Him, and now it's a process of revelation coming to us to see see who He is and see who I am in Him. That's why all the apostles said, set your mind on things above. Focus on Him. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of this faith that's causing your faith to grow as He reveals Himself to us. Set your mind above where you are now, seated with Him in heavenly places. It's a reality now. See it. Let Him show more and more. It's about seeing and not doing. It's awesome. Now, this is part of his ways. This is part of his ways that, that we're slow to, to, to see. One of the first things that they, the Scripture said of Messiah when he would come, one of the, the first things the Scripture says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And one of the main things he said there was to open the eyes of the blind. When he sent Paul out, first thing he said to Paul was, I send you forth, Paul, to open the eyes of the blind. And Paul said he had an experience where he was blind for three days, and something like great scales fell off his eyes, and he saw. What's that saying to you? It's saying to me that God's done something. He's not asking me to do something. He's asking me to see what he did. Isn't that awesome? Great is the mystery of your godliness, Paul says. He was manifested in the flesh. He was vindicated by his resurrection. He was seen by the messengers or the angels. The same Greek word. could be the apostles. It could be the angels. He was seen. He was proclaimed on in the world. He, He was proclaimed. He was taken up into glory. Now, how can that be my godliness? Oh, great is the mystery of your godliness. It's all him. It's all what he did. So saints, when we see that it's not about God working on me or trying to fix me, it's about life being manifested. Look, this is, way, this is God's ways. Um, remember what John said? He goes, the life, First John, the life was manifested. And we beheld him. And we handled him. We touched him. The life, the life was manifested. Clark is so right on about eternal life not being a, a thing of, of time. Eternal life is a quality. Eternal life is, is God's life. Basically, he was saying eternal life was manifested. Life was manifested. And we touched him. We saw him. We handled him. Life was manifested. 
God's way is to manifest life. The same way Jesus came into the world is the way he comes into you. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and life was manifested. And the same way the Holy Spirit comes upon the believer and life is manifested. God's ways, and the same way you received him, so walk ye in him. We believed and we received him. Now we walk in him in the same way, growing from faith to faith. It's all consistent. It's all consistent. It's all consistent. It's life being manifested. Life being manifested. When this, we talk about this fruit of the Spirit, it's like you could say the word life in there. It is the fruit of life. It is the fruit of his life. Paul says, I learned the secret of being free from sin in the flesh. It is the law of the spirit of life. The law of the spirit of life. The scripture says that if we've been reconciled by his death, we shall be saved by his life. It's life. It's life. And there were two trees in that garden, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What you and I have now, saints, because you have believed on him, he is the bread of life. He is the life that comes down from above that if you eat of that bread, you shall not die and you have eaten of him. And you have the life. John says, he who has the son has the life. He who has not the son has not the life. It's 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 not about sin. It's not about the law. It's not about the knowledge of good and evil. It's the life. You have his life. It's awesome. We were crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live. Yet, not I, but Christ lives in me. Christ who is my life. To live is Christ. You see, this is his way. Moses said this. He said, Lord, show me your ways that I might know you. There's a verse in scripture that says that he showed his acts to Israel, his acts, but he showed his ways to Moses. See, Israel saw his miracles. He saw, the, he saw the manifestation of the power of God. Uh, Israel saw the, the acts of God, the manifestation. But Moses said, show me your ways. I, I, I don't want to just see your miracles and your acts. I want to I know your ways, that I might know thee. Exodus 33, that I might know thee. And God said, I will surely show you my ways. Moses saw the secret. The secret of, of life being manifested. He saw the secret. He, God says, okay, Moses, you have found favor in my sight, which means you found grace in my sight, a picture of the new covenant that was coming. I'm going to show you what's coming. Now, this is so cool. Moses comes up to the mountain after he breaks the Ten Commandments. Israel's sinning, golden calf, the whole bit. Moses gets mad and breaks the Ten Commandments. Moses comes back up the mountain with broken tablets. And God says, and, and Moses says, oh, God, I want to know you. Show me your ways. And the Lord said, I will surely show you all my goodness. And he put Moses in the cleft of a rock. We sing that song, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. It's a picture of Christ, the rock, who was broken for us. And he put Moses in the cleft of the rock. And he said to Moses, you should not be able to see my face lest you die but I'll let you see my hinder parts, the backside of me, lest you die. Now, saints, this is what's so cool. That was the old covenant. Jesus is not, had not yet died. You and I now can look into the face of God. Paul says, look full into the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Now we can look full into his face, but then they couldn't. 
And I believe it was like a comet that passed before Moses. A comet, you know, is intense at the front. And then as it passes, the tail of the comet is less intense, but it's the same elements. The same elements, but less intense. And so I think what happened was the glory of God, God, this is so cool, God first put his hand over the cleft of the rock. God shielded in probably a dark cloud from Moses' eyes the glory of God that passed in front of Moses and as a beautiful comet, sparkling, crystal, beautiful, blue, purple, awesome, spectacular, awesome glory. And then the voice of God coming out of that saying, I am the Lord, the Lord God, merciful. First thing he says, merciful, faithful, full of loving kindness. And he passes, and then God takes his hand away from Moses so he can see the, 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 the tail passing through, the sparkles in the sky, brighter than the stars as it, as it passes in front of Moses. And he sees and hears the voice, and it fades away in the distance as, the, as he passes. He was looking at God. It is the new dynamic of the new covenant. We are transformed into the same image from glory to glory as we look at Christ. Not our sin in the flesh, but at Christ. Paul brings this out when, Paul, when Moses used to talk to God and his face would shine. He, was, he wasn't trying to get a shiny face. He wasn't using soap and water and, and you know, 1 John 1, 1.9 to get his face all clean. Some have said 1 John 1, 1.9 is the bar of soap for the believer. no. Paul's not trying to clean his face. I mean, Moses is not trying to clean his face. He's just talking with God. And God is shining on him, and he doesn't even know his face is shining, which is another benefit of this new way of God. You're not self-conscious about your good deeds. You're the, you're the guy in the parable that says, when did we go to prison? When did we feed the sick? When did we? Well, I was just being who I was. Jesus said, you did it to the least of these. You did it to me, and you didn't even, weren't even aware of it because you were just being me. It's awesome. You don't judge each other anymore. You don't even judge yourself. You're not self-conscious of your shiny face, but other people are. They'll say, wow, I see Christ in you. I see Christ in you. I see Christ in you. As Paul says, let us acknowledge the good thing that is in each one of us by Jesus Christ. Acknowledge it. That's a good thing. Acknowledge the good thing that is in each one of us by Jesus Christ. And encourage our brother and sister and say, I see Jesus in you, brother. I see Jesus in you, sister. But you don't, you're like, really? Wow, cool, you know? And, just, and say thanks. Don't be like, oh, no, it's all praise to God. Praise God. No, it's not me. So just be humble and say, no, thanks. Thanks. I really, God's really helping me, you know. But anyway, he's put a veil. Moses put a veil on his face because he'd come out all shiny. You know, he looked like, you know, some alien. And he, he was, a, the, and, and the reason why, we know why he took, the, that why he put the veil on. We didn't know in the Old Testament, but Paul tells us in the New Testament, he put the veil on his face because his face was fading. He didn't want Israel to see his face was, the light was going out in his face. He wanted to keep the authority. But it was also a symbolic picture of how the old covenant was fading. That it was an outward thing. It was a skin deep thing. It was an appearance thing. And it was fading. It was not what God wanted. God wanted not this outward stuff. He wanted an inward new creation. And now in Christ we have an open face, no veil, and we are boldly Proclaiming this reality with unveiled face, Paul says, because our face will not fade in Christ. And so here's, here's, Paul, uh, here's Moses putting the veil on and then taking it off when he talks to God and puts it back on. 
So what's Paul saying that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4? He's saying this is the new covenant dynamic. As we behold Christ, as we look at Christ, we're transformed into the same image. Paul said this in one of his letters. He said, let us behold in our inner man Christ. Let us behold Christ in our inner man. That's a lost art in the church today, a lost art. I mean, you talk like to some believers, they don't even know what you're talking about. If you say something like, do you, do you, don't you enjoy beholding Christ in your inner man? They're like, what? <laughs> it shouldn't be that way. Christians ought to be saying, yes, isn't it sweet? Isn't it sweet to know where I'm in union with him? That greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And, and just to sit quiet as, as Abby's awesome song she sang over us, come to the quiet, come to the still waters. Come, listen, be a Mary and sit at my feet. Behold Christ in your inner man. Don't try to fix yourself. It's fixed. Don't try to be good, a good person. You're good. For he has created us new in Christ Jesus unto good works that we merely will walk in now because we are now good. And what God creates, he says, it is good. It is very good. When he creates, he's done. This is not a new evolution. It's a new creation. We're not evolving. It is not evolving into a, a, a perfect heart. No, it's a new creation. God is not into evolution. God doesn't need time and space and chance to make something happen. God speaks it and it is. It's a new creation. It's a gradual manifestation because it's a gradual renewal of the mind. But what's being manifested already is. That's why it's the fruit of what is. We talk about the orange tree. The seed is an awesome thing. The seed is a picture of the finished work of Christ. Inside that seed is everything. It's the root structure. It's the bark. It's the inner uh, veins of the tree. It is the limbs. It is the leaf. It is the flower. It is the fruit. All of that is in the seed, which is Christ. Everything is in the seed, which is Christ. The finished work of Christ is in the seed, but it doesn't benefit anyone until it is put in the ground, until someone receives it. And then in that one seed, all this begins to happen. And we're being rooted and grounded in Christ and being built up in him from the seed, which is Christ. Life is manifested. The, the orange begins to come on the branch. First the flower. First the flower, fragrance. God's into beauty. It's the beauty of God. It's the beauty of holiness. It's the beauty of otherness. I love, when you hear the word holy, don't default to, oh, but I'm not. So many people in their minds, when they hear the word holy, they think, oh, God is holy, but I'm not. No, when you hear the word holy, the actual meaning of the word holy means other. He is other. He is other. He is other. That's why they say it over and over again. He is other, 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 unlike man, unlike anything, unlike in his creation. It's beyond what you see. It's other, other, other. And he has made us other. He has made us holy. He has made us other. We are also other. We're not of this world. We're not of man anymore. We're not of this creation. We are other also with him. We are other, other, other in him. That's the heart of holy. That's why the word holy is the one word that encompasses all that God is except for one other word, and that is I am who I am. The one word beyond I am who I am is holy because it's other. You see love in man? His love is other. You see faithfulness in man, his, his faithfulness is other. It's better, it's better, it's other, it's other, it's other. So, oh, so it's a manifestation of like, oh yeah, how does, how does 
How does that life manifest? Okay, this is so cool, and we'll wrap it up here. The way life is manifested, saints, from what I, I see in the scripture and what Jesus taught and what the apostles taught, it's just like your body, your body, your body life. How is your body life? How, how does your body grow? How does your body grow? How, how does life, how, a newborn baby, it's all, it's all parallel truth, you know, born, being born again, a new creation. It's the truths are found in, in the visible creation. The same truths are seen in the visible, teach us in the invisible. For we know the invisible things of God by the things which have been created, the scripture says. So how does a newborn baby grow? Drinks milk, gets stronger, it eats meat, drinks water, it eats. It eats. The spiritual life is nourished by eating, not by doing. Eating. Eating. Jesus said, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no life. Life. What does that mean, though, to eat? It means, saints, I believe to our focus is on him. And we are nourished by him. In fact, he says that in Ephesians 5, he says he cherishes and nourishes his bride. He cherishes and nourishes his bride. Jesus said this. He said, the works that I do are not my works. They're the works of my Father who is within me. And the words I speak are not my words, but the words of my Father who dwells within me. As I live by the Father, so shall you live by me. This place we are in union with him, as he said, the day will come when I shall be in you and you shall be in me. My Father and I will come and make our abode in you by the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what you and I have now. So as he lived by the Father, we live by him. What's that saying? There's this the new creation, there's a growing awareness of, of this incredible union. He was so aware of the Father being inside of him. He goes, the works I'm doing are not my works, but the works of my Father. And the words I'm speaking are not my words, but the words of my Father. And as I live by my Father, you're going to live by me. So we, there's this growing awareness in the new covenant believer of our incredible union with him. And the Holy Spirit is given, the scripture says, to show us the things that belong to this Christ that is now inside of you. And then Jesus said, and these things now belong to you because you're in me and I'm in you. So what is eating and drinking of Christ? It is letting the Spirit of God show us Jesus himself as the center of everything. He has been made unto me wisdom, righteousness, holiness, redemption. He himself I am as he is now, the scripture says, in the sense that God is my father, just like Jesus. God is in me, like Jesus. I am righteous as Jesus. I am. These are the things that Jesus would say to the apostles. He said, let these things sink down into your ears. Let these things go down deep into your ears. This, I, I believe, saints, is how we eat and drink spiritually. It's, it's like chewing the cud. The scripture talks about the animals that chew the cud. It's called uh, David talked about meditating, 
pondering. Mary pondered these things in her heart. It's meditating on these truths. It's pondering them in our heart. It's chewing the cud. It's letting them go deep in our, our ears. It's, this is the simple process of eating. That's how we eat a good meal. And just as in the natural, you love, I think you would love, I love, a Ruth Chris steak, <laughs> filet, side of potato, side of asparagus. God has made eating enjoyable, yeah. right? In the spiritual, it's 10 times more enjoyable. If we get it right, and I say get it right, I mean, if we understand, it's not about looking at your sin. That's the big lie. It's not about going to prayer and getting all your sins confessed up to date so you can finally get to talk to God. No. It's about walking into his presence confidently to behold the beauty, the beauty, the beauty of God who loves you like crazy. The very first thing I do in the morning, I don't even think about doing anything for God. The very first thing I do in the morning that he has taught me is, son, don't think about praying to me. Don't think about doing anything for me. Don't think about anything. Just lay there and receive my love. It's awesome. The first thing I do is I just receive his love. I just, you know what? He's been up all night waiting for me to get up. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. The God of Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps, and he's waiting for me all night, hovering over me, calling me his beloved. The scripture says he loves me as much as he loves Jesus, John 17. He loves me as much as Jesus. How can that be? How can these things be? If your Christianity doesn't have, doesn't have the how can these things be, then you're not really seeing the glory of his ways. And I get up and the little sun comes through my window and wakes my eyes, start, my eyes start to come up. And, and he's there, loving me, loving me. Scripture says, the apostle says, keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself in the conscious awareness of how much he loves you. Not that we first loved him, but he first loved us. And what happens is that love begins to rebound back to him and to others. And then I receive his love and it rebounds back to him and to others. It's awesome. It's his way. Because when we lose this sin consciousness stuff, this flesh focus, then there's nothing left but pristine, heavenly reality. Not copies of the shadows anymore, but the heavenly things themselves. Oh, the words I speak are not my words today, but the words of the Christ who lives within me. The works I do are not my works, but the works of the Christ who lives in me. It's the way he wants us to live, eating and drinking of him. And just as the steak is so awesome in the natural, so is eating of him 10 times better in the spiritual when we see his beauty, his glory, his awesomeness, how he loves us to be with us. He loves us to be with us. You know what's so cool when, when Moses brought that broken, those broken commandments up there, when, when God did this, the commandments a second time? You know what's so cool? Is that after God showed him this way of looking at his glory, 
He was foreshadowing the coming of the new covenant dynamic of how men will be able to look at God and be transformed. Then he gave him a new set of Ten Commandments. But you know what he did the second time? You can read it, read it in Acts 33. He didn't start with the law the second time because the second time is a picture of the second covenant. He started with the Feast of Israel. He started with the Feast of Israel. He said, these are the feasts. These are the celebrations I want you to have. And they're all about Christ. As in Clark's book about the Feast of Israel, it's all about Christ. So the second cutting of the Ten Commandments didn't start with the law. He was telling us, foreshadowing it to us that it's not about the law, it's about Christ. So he starts off telling about the parties. He goes, these are the parties I want you to have. I want you to have this party called Feast of Unleavened Bread. I want you to have this Passover party. Uh, I want you to have it for seven days. I want you to party for seven days. I want you to have the Pentecost party. I want you to have the Feast of Tabernacles party. He starts with parties. And then he says, I'm going to do such miracles and such wonders. I will drive out the enemies before you and I will plant you in the promised land. He still hasn't got to the law yet. You see? You see what God's heart is? And then he gives him the Ten Commandments. Because he knows that's not the answer. That's just something temporary, Galatians says, until the Christ should come, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Okay, saints, this is, God is so good. I'm just going to wrap it up. Love you guys so much. We are so blessed to be in a church like this. I can't tell you. Clark and Martha, when they decided to do this, I don't know where I'd be right now without this church. This is a blessed, blessed place. Do all you can to encourage every saint that comes here. God is sending people. Jeremy texted me the other day. There's, he, he realized that people are really being sent here from other states, other countries. People are being sent here. And it's not that we want people to come here so we have a big church. It's like, it, it's, this is very special. Give what you can of your, of your financial support. Give what you can of your encouragement. Give whatever you can. Saints, this is, a, this is an oasis. And the tapes and the books that are going out are changing people's lives. The conferences, the things that are happening. It's just so cool to be a part of this. To be a part of something that is, uh, really makes a difference. Not playing church, not religion, but the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus himself. I'll just close with this. There's a, remember that movie King Kong, you know, where they had the, the latest version of the movie King Kong where he, the, the uh, King Kong climbs up the Empire State Building. He fell in love with, with, with the girl, you know, Beauty and the Beast, and he was in love with her. He looked for her. That's why he was tearing up the whole city looking for her. If you, if you saw the movie, and so he climbs up the Empire State Building and he's fighting off the airplanes and trying to protect her, holding her and putting her on the Empire State Building and he's fighting off the planes trying to protect her. And uh, at the very end of the movie, he is struck so much by the, by the guns from the airplanes that he couldn't hold on anymore. He used to go into the on the rocks and watch the sunrise with her. Remember that? Back at the island, he would sit on the rocks and they'd watch the sunrise together, the beast and the beauty. And, and, uh, and she said, it's beautiful. And then he was getting hit so hard with the weapons that he had to let go. And he let go and you see him looking at her one more time. And uh, he lets go. 
and he falls down the Empire State Building and, and he dies. The very last line of that movie really heard the Spirit of God speak when I, saw, when I heard what he said and all the reporters were taking picture of the dead ape's body on the street and, and uh, they said, why did he go up there? He knew it, it, he couldn't get out of that. I wonder why he did that. I mean, those, those planes, he knew those planes were going to kill him. Remember the guy, he came up in, in the crowd and the guy that brought him from the island and he said, it wasn't the planes that killed him. Beauty killed the beast. Beauty killed the beast. He risked his, his life and went to danger because he was in love with the, with the girl. Now in some twisted way, the spirit said to me, In some twisted way, the Spirit said to me that that's how we overcome the beast. It's by the beauty. The beast will die in us. The flesh will die when we're enraptured with the beauty of God. It is beauty. It is his beauty that will kill the beast in you, in the flesh which is not really you. It is his beauty that will release the true you. Beauty. His beauty. God's beauty. And now we can look at him without fear. Let's stand up. Lord, thank you so much for helping us see your ways. Your ways are not our ways. Your ways are so restful and peaceful. What a great thing that we can eat and drink of you. Just eat and drink of you. And find eternal life being manifested. Eternal life being manifested in the fruit of love and joy and peace. As we just eat and drink of you. Help us see you in, in our brother and sister. For every time we see you in our brother and sister, we, we take a drink of the water of life. Help us not know each other after the flesh anymore, but only after the spirit. Help us not to see each other after the flesh, but after the new creation in the spirit. Help us to enjoy you. Enjoy you. Come away, my beloved. Come away, my fair one. Run with me. I see no spot. I see no wrinkle. Come to me. Let us run like the deer. Let us eat and drink of heavenly things. Oh, the half has not been told. Oh, the half has not been told. This Christ, this Messiah, he shall not break the bruised reed. 
He shall not put out the smoking flax. He shall carry the lambs in his arms. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Messiah. I have loved you with an everlasting love and with loving kindness have I drawn you to myself. On eagle's wings, I bring you to myself. Rest, my child, tossed to and fro by everything. Rest. I am with you always, even until the end of the world. 